Welcome to the Aristia podcast, where experts talk about excellence. Our podcast format includes a young professional, early in their career, talking to an expert for academic and industry insights. At some point, we turn the tables around, where the expert asks the young professional about their agonies, dreams and aspirations about their field. In today's podcasts, our expert is Fivi Kunduri, professor at the School of Economics and Director of RISIS at Athens University of Economics and Business. She is also a professor at the Department of Technology Management and Economics at Denmark Technical University. And she is the Director of Sustainable Development Unit at Athena Information Technologies Research Center. Our young professional is Apostolos Paraskevopoulos, an energy consultant and graduate student in the law and economics in energy market at the Athens University of Economics and Business. Have a nice day, Ms. Kuduri. Um, I am Apostolos. Uh, let's start the questions. Well, you are a world-renowned environmental economics professor. My first question is, uh, and I think it's quite quite easy, uh, what motivated you to focus on environmental economics instead of other more conventional uh, aspects of the economic science? Well, uh, this was something that uh, actually um, grew Uh, as I was growing up in Cyprus. So, Apostoli, I'm really happy to be with you today and uh, communicating uh, some of my um, experiences. I hope they have some interest for a wider audience. So, I grew up in Cyprus. Uh, This is an island that got significantly under pressure due to water scarcity. And I was always interested to identify um, an optimal mode of interaction between how people use the resources and the capacity of nature to regenerate the resources. So very early in, in my life, I understood that this is a difficult interaction, a very challenging interaction. I was also uh, very interested in economics, but we should be very careful here, economics in terms of allocating resources so that to increase social welfare. So economists are not accountants. Uh, they are um, social scientists that with a very um, uh, heavy background, I would say, in mathematics and, and statistics. And uh, through this interest in economics, I realized that natural resources, the use of natural resources by the society and the economy is one crucial aspect that was understudied. Because in any production or consumption activity that we are involved, uh, natural resources, the water, the land, the air, the stability of climate, ecosystem services are really a very big proportion 
of the input we use for any production activity. And it's also a very big proportion of our consumption. So I always thought that this is an extremely interesting um, uh, area of research and work. And it was uh, firstly, um, you know, identified through my uh, growing up in Cyprus with uh, heavy water scarcity, but then it uh, uh, really diffused itself to other natural resources. And, uh, you know, he, I was kind of lucky in a way or uh, uh, kind of, I, I had good timing because uh, the big existential questions that we are now facing as, uh, as a global community are related to the way we use our natural resources, climate change, biodiversity collapse, energy crisis, food crisis. Okay. Uh, nowadays, there is a big discussion about climate change, as you know, about mm -hmm. sustainable development, about circular economy. Uh, can you describe us in short the reasons that these issues uh, have a growing impact and importance uh, nowadays? Yes, well, uh, these days I, I start all my speeches by saying we are facing multiple crises. And these multiple crises are the obvious one, the pandemic. Uh, the big economic recession that derives from the pandemic, the disruption of value change. And in addition to this, we have climate change, the, which basically documents in uh, increased frequency and severity of uh, extreme weather events. And uh, it is caused by the destabilization of the climate. And in addition to this, we have ecosystems collapse, the collapse of ecosystem services, the provisioning services, the regulating services, the um, habitat services, the cultural services that nature provides. So these multiple crises together with the geopolitical crisis and the resulting energy crisis, which in fact had started before the war in Ukraine, and the food crisis that derives from the war in Ukraine, we have a multiple um, set of crises that need to be dealt with, and they need to be dealt with simultaneously. And this is a very big challenge. And the only way to solve this challenge, especially if you add population increase, um, is to understand that you need a holistic framework, an integrated interdisciplinary holistic framework that will allow you to change from the current path of development to a sustainable path of development. And this uh, holistic framework is already there. 
is what we've signed in 2050, 193 countries, the 17 SDGs, the 169 targets within these SDGs, and the climate agreement that specifies SDG 13, which basically says we need to keep global climate temperature at a maximum increase of no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius. So we have our blueprint. The SDGs are not a descriptive narrative. The SDGs are an investment plan that has to be made explicit for each and every country according to the characteristics of the country. And it's the only way to go to a sustainable pathway, a pathway that will allow a sustainable interaction between the economy, the society, and nature. And it includes aspects of um, economy, decent work, and economic growth. Um, It includes aspects of um, the environment, SDG, 13 for climate, SDG 14 for uh, sustainable use of seas and oceans, SDGs um, 15, sustainable land use, SDG that has to do with the renewable energy, uh, sustainable cities and communities, and also many SDGs that are relevant to social cohesion no hunger, no poverty, equality, education. So it's really very holistic. It takes into account geopolitical stability as well. SDG 16 and 14 are about collaboration and partnerships for the goal. So it's a very holistic framework that can really be implemented in order to get us on the correct sustainable development path. My background um, is uh, I'm a, an econometrician, a statistical economics and mathematical modeler, uh, but always my work since my PhD years in Cambridge University was focused on this sustainable interaction, bringing in the financial aspect of a situation the social aspect of the situation, the environmental aspect of the situation, quantifying these aspects, estimating the relevant values, and creating sustainable solutions for a sustainable interaction between the the three, the economy, the society, and the environment. And it is also interesting to know that Uh, The different crises affect each other and aggravate each other. For example, uh, the pandemic has two possible sources. It's either a virus that was created in a lab under a research program of virology, or it's a virus that uh, came to humans because of biodiversity collapse. And biodiversity collapse means that the space between uh, white um, uh, nature and humans is reduced because the biodiversity, because the forest due to deforestation between humans and wildlife has uh, decreased. 
So it makes it much more possible, probable for a wildlife virus to make the cross species leap and come to humans. And the last few decades, we have many examples of that, HIV, H1N1, uh, SARS, and so on. So here you see that the biodiversity collapse creates the pandemic. The biodiversity collapse is aggravated due to climate change because due to climate change, we um, lose ecosystem services. Our ecosystem gets destroyed. And the more destroyed the ecosystem services, the less complicated our food change. And the less complicated the food change, the more um, uh, vulnerable we become to shocks. We lose our resilience because resilience means that after a shock, we are able to retain the organizational structure and function of our system. And during these days that we slowly understand that the uh, resilience is a very important concept within sustainability, that is our ability to respond to a shock and uh, recover from a shock. Okay. So uh, an important integral part of the European Green Deal are the renewables. And I can recall that you are a strong uh, supporter and champion of them. Uh, moreover, the uh, EU uh, is uh, trying to achieve a, a clear competitive advantage in them. Uh, are, they, are the renewables sufficient for our, for our uh, energy systems? Well, the renewables are one big part of our energy system. And of course, Southern Europe has a lot of sun and Northern Europe has a lot of wind and we have geothermal and we have alternative fuels and we have the potential of hydrogen. So a serious investigation of our potential is in renewables. An investigation that concerns each and every country is needed. We can definitely do much more than we are doing. Renewables are cheaper than fossil fuel now. And this is something we've been saying for years that uh, around uh, 2020, renewables will become cheaper and nobody would believe that. And uh, we owe this due to the fourth industrial revolution, the technological advancements and the pace of technological advancements is such that allows cost efficient renewables. So renewables are cost efficient. Renewables are humble and um, we control them. So they are uh, produced within Europe and they have a very small, insignificant environmental footprint. So obviously this is one excellent choice for our energy mixture, but it's not the only one. We can also make um, a lot of um, uh, 
uh, investments in circular economy. Investments in circular economy means better use, more efficient use of uh, energy and natural resources. So we can economize through that. We can also use nature-based solutions for absorbing CO2, for uh, climate adaptation, for protecting from extreme weather events, our hedging devices. And we can also use digitalization. So always it's a mixture. It's a mixture. It's the optimal mixture of renewables, which we have many alternatives. And we are looking at 2030 at a hydrogen economy, the growth strategy of Europe points to the need of uh, laying the foundations of a hydrogen economy by 2030. So it's wind, it's solar, it's uh, geothermal, it's um, energy from uh, waves. Uh, There are many uh, possibilities within Europe. Then we have to invest in circular economy. Then we have nature-based solutions. Then we have climate adaptation projects that are important because what even if we become climate neutral today, the whole of the world becomes climate neutral today, we will still be facing extreme weather events, floods, heat waves, forest fires. So it's crucial that we invest against hedging Um, against um, extreme weather events caused by climate change. And then it's digitalization that can really help this transition. So we are looking and identifying the optimal mixture that will allow efficient production and consumption, energy security, and control of our energy sources. And at the same time, reduce footprint And at the same time, positive job multipliers, creating jobs, and positive growth multipliers. This is what we need to look at. And actually, IFORIA, which is the Alliance of Excellence on Research and Innovation on Sustainability that I lead, it is composed of four different institutions Uh, research institutions, RECES at the Athens University of Economics and Business, the Sustainable Development Unit at Athena Research and Innovation Center, which is the biggest research and innovation center in the country on information technology. And there we specifically focus on um, uh, the green and digital transition. The needs I create the International Center for Research on the Economy and the Environment, and um, a research laboratory on uh, stochastic um, uh, approaches and applications. Um, These are four research institutions together with three accelerators because here um, I need to emphasize that accelerating technological progress is crucial for this transition. So we have the European Institute of Innovation and Technology Climate Kick. Um, I lead the, the hub Uh, of Climate Kick in Greece. 
the other two accelerators that are part of Iforia are a marine time accelerator focusing on uh, incubating and accelerating startups and innovations that are relevant to a climate neutral and climate resilient shipping and port sector. And another accelerator, which is called Brigade Connect, which is focused on solutions, startups with uh, solutions relevant for climate adaptation. Solutions that can protect us from uh, floods, uh, heat waves, um, forest fires, heavy precipitation, and so on. So our work in Iforia really combines research and innovation and incubation and acceleration of innovation to the market. This is a technological transition. We are only hopeful that we can achieve the transition on time before we destroy our uh, natural surroundings, our natural capital. And in effect, we, this will have a spillover effect on the economy and the society. So before we do that, we need to change. And we are hopeful that we can make this change, this transformation, only because the pace of technological advancement is extremely fast in countries of, of the world. And we also work very closely with the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network, the biggest network in the world of universities and research centers. There is a hub in each and every country of the world. And the focus is to communicate solutions for sustainability transition that are developed in universities and research centers communicated to the rest of the world, to the other stakeholders that need to be involved in this transition, the politicians, the policymakers, the business, the financial institutions, the NGOs, the civil society. I lead the European Hub with more than 400 members, and I think this is a crucial platform for accelerating the needed transition. And it is under this platform that the UNSDSN Global Climate Hub will be launched and will have its headquarters in Greece. Okay, uh, so you have described the new scene that is uh, being created. Uh, my question is uh, this. Uh, it is obvious that uh, Greece... Uh, that for Greece, may, some new opportunities may arise. However, the Greek economy is facing uh, various uh, problems. One of the basic problems is the extremely low level of uh, national savings. So the question is, how is this research and this uh, innovation is going to be funded regarding the low level of savings in our country? Yes, uh, look, um, the economic situation is very difficult, not, on, not only in Greece, but also across the world, because we have um, been facing, we faced the financial crisis, uh, Greece uh, faced um, uh, a fiscal crisis as well. Um, and now after the COVID with the supply disruptions, um, we are continuing uh, to face a, a serious uh, production side uh, crisis. 
and uh, we have tried uh, to uh, respond to this crisis with uh, expansionary fiscal policies in all countries, almost. And uh, also with uh, uh, monetary policies and quantitative easing. All these efforts um, have not really resulted in investments in the real economy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and it's reasonable that they have not because the level of uncertainty was so big that no investor would, was willing to take on this huge uncertainty unless very high profits were seen uh, in the close future. This resulted in inflation and uh, inflation uh, that uh, is probably leading to stagflation, meaning uh, no economic growth and inflation, which is a very, very, very difficult situation for any economy. And it is even more difficult when it's the time that you have to make a big transformation, which basically calls for huge investments. Where is the money going to come from? For me, uh, the, not all problems have solutions. However, we can try to do something. And the most important um, thing that we can do at the moment is first to realize that there is a huge funding gap with regards to financing the SDG transformation globally and nationally in Greece. Second, that the SDG transformation cannot be done only by public money. They are not enough, even through the expansionary um, fiscal policies. Third, what is needed is to understand that most money in the world are in private hands. And what we need is for the public sector to make the basic infrastructural transformation. For example, the grid uh, that can support uh, renewables should be there. And then convince the private sector to come in and make the necessary transformational investments in public-private partnerships that can really um, um, support optimism with regards to high returns. There is a big ongoing uh, uh, discussion about uh, the exploitation of the hydrocarbons of the East Mediterranean Sea. You probably, probably know it since you are from Cyprus. And uh, I was wondering if the East Med project is going to be implemented, this will require billions of euros, uh, which uh, could be given in other uh, innovative um, actions, for example, in renewable energy storage facilities and uh, research. Uh, so are we not, are we in a vicious circle uh, situation where uh, we are trying to solve uh, the energy problem through natural gas and on the other hand, we are trying to, to, to achieve sustainability? 
Yes, I, I should be clear on this. Natural gas is is not a is not a sustainable fuel. Yes. Period. So I really don't see the need uh, to invest in hydrocarbons. We have enough renewables. They are cheaper. They have a lower footprint. We fully control them. There is no need to invest in hydrocarbons. There is a big need to invest in storage of renewable. This is a big issue. But uh, natural gas is not the solution. Investments in natural gas are not clever. This is not where the, 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 the transformation is going. Uh, and uh, this is not where we should go. We should invest in renewable circular economy, nature-based solutions, climate adaptation, digitalization. These are the ingredients of the optimal nature. Natural gas is not there. It is not clever to invest now in natural gas. And it is not clever to invest in nuclear energy unless it becomes uh, clean in terms of toxic waste. Because again, nuclear is expensive. It takes a lot of time. It has toxic waste. We have no reason to invest in that now. There are many research projects that are investing in clean uh, nuclear energy, but at the moment, the solution is not with a high TRL. So at the moment, that should not be part of the picture. It should be part of a longer-term optimal mixture like hydrogen is. So the solution is not to reinvest in natural gas. The solution is to invest in uh, energy sources that we control and at the same time are cheaper and at the same time have a lower environmental footprint. So it protects the natural capital on which we base our production. So we should know that any production is a mixture of produced capital, natural capital, and human capital. If we destroy natural capital, then our ability to produce in the future will become limited. And also we will be facing many extreme, um, um, uh, extreme events that will limit even further our um, ability to produce because they will destroy our infrastructure. So it, it is crucial to understand that we should use energy sources that are safe for the environment, that are cheaper per unit of production, and that we control. I strongly believe that uh... Uh, all these new, these new issues uh, that we have discussed are providing uh, new challenges and new opportunities for small countries like Greece, like Portugal, like Belgium, and especially countries that have, were hit by the economic, uh, uh, by, by severe economic problems the previous years. Uh, also, my own point of view is that the European Green Deal, uh, in my own view, is the strongest. Uh, a part uh, of, the, of the European Union eff effort uh, to fulfill its, uh, its uh, targets. And I believe it's a much stronger event than the, you know, than, than the Monetary Union because it gives opportunities 
uh, especially to, to small countries that uh, in other, in other uh, times they wouldn't uh, have. For example, Greece uh, uh, is now facing the digitalization uh, uh, problem. Uh, through the Green Deal, uh, it, can, uh, it can successfully uh, succeed. It. Also, with all these uh, problems with the renewables, now we have an opportunity to solve one, once and for all our, our energy problem and forget the, the, the fossil fuels that we were, uh, since uh, 1950, we were uh, uh, based on them. So, to sum up, uh, new, opportunities in, uh, new opportunities are arising, and uh, these opportunities uh, are much more um, important for countries like uh, Greece. Uh, uh, and uh, the future is uh, in front of us. A final question, a, a traditional question uh, mm -hmm. for you. Uh, in a perfect setting for a dinner, who would you invite, where it would take place, what would be served, and what music uh, would be playing in the background? <laughs> Apostolos, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with all you said about the transformation of what is needed. And I agree that the big challenge will be not just convinced about the need for the transformation, but finding the money for this transformation and really we have to engage the private sector in good public-private partnerships. Uh, but let me go to the dinner. Well, the dinner will be with um, a combination of scientists, high-level scientists that have invested their lives in this uh, transformation, in this uh, transition. I would have uh, my good friend and collaborator, Jeff Sachs, from Columbia University, the president of UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network. Um, my supervisor from Cambridge University, Partha Dasgupta, with his amazing Dasgupta review that showcases the uh, how we can protect in, in uh, an economic setting our ecosystem services. And then I would ask in political leaders. It's really important to get the big political leaders talking to each other seriously. The leader of China, the leader of the US, the leader of Europe, the leader of India. If we get them talk to each other and also talk to some leader of an African Union, I think it would be crucial because what is needed is collaboration and common understanding of the problems and the solution pathways. And together with these leaders and the scientists that I would have in this uh, dinner table, I would have some strong technology developers. I would have Elon Musk, I would have Bill Gates, uh, so that the clean, uh, technology and digitalization have a representation in this um, in this uh, table, and we would try to form a, a strong coalition that would give the inspiration for the change. A getting to zero coalition between science, technology developers, and politicians. And the music would be any song that my three daughters like, you know, music from the 
uh, new generation uh, because the new generation, it's really the generation that will impose the change. So we need to empower them with the knowledge of the need of the change and their voice should always be there. So I would let uh, Greta uh, and my three daughters choose the music so that we dance to their tune. A club isn't the best place to find the lovers so of the bar is where I go. Me and my friends sat at the table doing shots, tripping fast, and then we talk slow. And we come over and start up a conversation with just me, and trust me, I'll give it a chance. Now take my hand, stop it, and the man on the jukebox, and then we start to dance. And now I'm singing like, girl, you know I want your love. Your love was handmade for somebody like me. Come on now, follow my lead. I may be crazy, don't mind me. Say, boy, let's not talk too much. Grab on my waist and put that body on me. Come on now, follow my lead. Come, come on now, follow my lead. Mm -hmm. I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet do. Although my heart is falling too. I'm in love with your body. And last night you were in my room. And now my bed sheets smell like you. Every day discovering something brand new. Well, I'm in love with your body. Thank you. To Apostolos Parasquevopoulos and Phoebe Kunduri. For this podcast, Aristia in 30 Minutes, where experts talk about excellence. <laughs>